one. Count it in. Count it in, Max. We're counting up to three, down from three. One, two, two, one, three. two, three, four. <laughs> feels hey. working, feels working. I feel out of practice. Well, I don't think we normally do a song, so you're definitely out of practice. Oh, I forgot. That was a new, that's a new, a new start. Um, I got this new, I got this new mic technique here. So I got rid of my boom arm because it was just unwieldy and like looming over me all day to mm-hmm. use like once a week. Uh, so I've got you know just this little stand right here with the, mm-hmm. the mic on the stand. But you know it's important to talk right into the mic, right? So right. I've I've got this. Uh, I got my my standing desk and I've jacked it up real high, so it's like basically up under my uh, my armpits, so mm-hmm. I can lean on it. But the mic is right at mouth level then. It feels wow. pretty great. Yeah, you look. Do professional. I sound incredible? You sound yeah. You sound pretty professional. You sound good. I look sound good. Crisp. Sound good. It's gonna be a good episode. Yeah, it is. Hopefully, we have things to talk about. We don't. Yeah. Well, no, you, we do. You're on a you're on a new farm. You're working and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Things. Do you have any anything to check in? Any checking around? Mm, checking around. Well, we have this new product well in progress at the ready where we're gonna make like a deck of cards with a bunch of check-in questions. So I have this spreadsheet with 115 different check-in questions. So if you give me a number, a random number between 1 and 115, we can just grab one of those. Give me 78. 78. Did you make these questions or is this kind of a group? Uh, no, it was uh, my other colleagues. I've been pushing on this one. I haven't really done anything. Gotcha. All right, hold on. It's lagging. 78. Oh, so appropriate for what we're doing here. What makes a job satisfying? Um, I mean, I'm isn't, go, this what, isn't this what our entire podcast is about, basically? Yeah, that's kind of what we talk about. And we've talked about it before, um, and it comes up all the time, at least with farming. For me, it's anything that where you can see your progress shaping up in front of you um, or the effects of your work. Like there's a pretty much one-to-one, very quick turnaround from what I did to what I'm seeing. Um is what I would say for what makes at least what farming for me satisfying. Yep. All right. For me, um, there's an element of that that is true for the work that I do too. I like making stuff and giving it to clients and having them use it. Um, for me, there's definitely a intellectual component that I find uh, very necessary. And when it is there, it is very satisfying when I feel like I am doing something uh, new or you know, I'm, I'm basically I'm not just kind of retreading ground that others have already um, already tread. So that, gotcha. that's really satisfying. These are some um, these are some like business professional check in rounds. They're not like if you could choose a scent for your like uh, choose a scent for your farts. What would it be? You know, it seems a little more professional than that. Um, well, now that you've asked that one, what would it be for you? <laughs> I was actually thinking about that as I came up with this idea in my head. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of like. Uh, any candle that's like fresh pine smell. You know, oh God, hold on, hold on. We got to stop. We got to stop. Not, record- not recording. No, I am recording, but because I just downloaded Audio Hijack, I haven't unlocked like the full version, so we're in trial mode. So after oh, no. ten minutes, it's going to um, it's off. going to degrade. So let's pause here. This clap, is also clap. usable. I'll do some good <laughs> editing. I think we're good. It's still recording. I could just left all that in. Wow. Well, I probably won't. Let's not. Maybe. I won't. <laughs> all right. One, two, three. And, and we're back. I, I fixed the the software problem. Yep. And you so were just getting ready to tell me about what you want your farts <laughs> to smell like. Yep. Um, yeah, so I was saying, anyways, I really enjoy candles that are smell like like foresty, piney kind of smell. You know, <coughs> something real, 
Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice cough button. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, so I think I'd, I'd appreciate it if my tooth smelled a little bit like a fresh pine forest. Nice. I think I want citrus. I'm <laughs> sprayed a little orange in my face. Dude, that's a strong smell. I don't know if I'd really want that every time that you <laughs> Just a hint. <laughs> hint of citrus. Um, we've really, we've gone blue already. We're like ten, mm. five minutes into this. We didn't, have fault. To dive, we didn't have to dive into that. I was just saying those were much more professional check-in questions than I was expecting. Maybe I'll use that. Normal. Maybe I'll use that with my client. Yeah, number 116 is going to be <laughs> if you could use a scent for your farts. Um, all right. Well, it's been two weeks since we've talked, but it's – I mean, yeah, What have you been doing for the last two weeks? Well, I was going to say what is time really because it's hard to tell how long it's been. Time is a flat circle. Um, so actually I, I have a question for you. Does it feel like time is going by fast or slow for you? Mm, now that I'm back working, I think it'll feel faster. Yeah. Um, honestly, it's like hard to tell because this kind of like was a, a fairly smooth transition from in the winter. I don't normally work that much anyways because of the way that farming works. I am normally kind of the way that farming works in that it doesn't work in the winter. Exactly. Well, and not for everywhere, but for obviously farming yes. in a northern climate. Um, so it's not like it wasn't that weird for me it was like an extension of winter it felt like because i'm always kind of running my same kind of routine of being at home and just doing those kind of things you know occasionally i was working at the restaurant or something but for the most part it's just felt like i'm just it was still the off season and you finished working at ups before it became like a frontline heroic position yeah i did i did and they've not they've not called me back trying to say like we need you on the front lines Mm -hmm. um but so yeah i mean it's hard to say it feels fairly normal i guess um, there's obviously some differences like that Haley is home now as well. So both of us are here right. and we can't do as much outside or you know, obviously we can't do stuff outside, but we can't go out in public as much. Right. But not like I was doing a lot of that anyways when I was home. Um, so it hasn't actually been too jarring for me and I'm, I'm a very mostly introverted person who very much enjoys spending time alone and mm-hmm spending time just sitting at home playing video games and reading and those kinds of things. So it doesn't actually, this isn't bothering me as much as it's yeah. bothering pe- people that need a lot of social interaction, which I'm, I'm not one of those people. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if you are, I don't know how, how jarring or how difficult it has been for you. Maybe that, minus your work. I'm not sure. It hasn't been, I mean, not jarring in the sense of like, I'm craving to go like hang out with people. Um, but it, so that hasn't been terrible. Time feels like it's going by really fast for me because work is not really different. In fact, it's probably just more intense now. Like mm-hmm. the stakes are higher to do to make sure the project that I'm on goes really well. The stakes are higher for selling new work. Um, you know, just basically doing the same work that we've always done, but with more technical difficulties. Um, but also minus travel, um, which has been been kind of nice. Do you feel like you're almost working more too because there's – I mean you talked about working from home and you've done it before. Yeah. But is there almost less separation now that it's like I'm essentially can't do anything else other than obviously like you know read and all these other things. But is it hard not to s- just spend time doing work? Sometimes. Do you- I think I'm pretty I've, – I've instituted some new routines that is helping me kind of separate work time from just life time. Yeah. I think – that is going well. I think there is an element of not being able to turn my brain off uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to work stuff, even if I am just like playing a video game or reading or something. Yeah. And I think partially that's just the high stress environment that we're in right now. And partially is that I'm doing all of my work and like all of my leisure in the same 
area. Um, mm-hmm. So part of my brain is having trouble turning off. Gotcha. Um, what are those those boundaries if, if you can or anything that you've done to kind of make this go oh, easier yeah. on yourself? So, I mean, I've really tried to lock in my routines around like waking up and like what I do in the morning. Um, so specifically, one of the things I've been going for a work from home commute. So mm-hmm. at 830, I leave my apartment and I go for like a 20, 25 minute walk just in the neighborhood. And then when I come back into the apartment, I'm in work mode and I'm heads down focused on work. And then at the end of the day, I'll either go for another work from home commute doing the exact same loop again. And then when I come Mm -hmm. back, I'm now done with work or what I've been doing is just working out like right at the end of the day. And once I step into my workout, that's the end of end of the work day. Gotcha. Fairly successful. Um, yeah, it's been going all right. Um, yeah, for the most part. So this is another update that we don't have in the thing here, but it is a new month and which means month of sit has come to an end. Month of sit is over. Um, and I just want to hear your follow up on how, how month of sit went. Month of sit went surprisingly well. Um, I missed eight days out of 31, which is not terrible considering I missed, I think 19 days in February. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a major uh, improvement. I also, up until last month, all of my meditation sessions have been like 10 minutes, which is too short, really, to get into anything particularly interesting. And now I have kind of reset my default sit length to 20 minutes, which feels better and is like a qualitatively different experience. Like once you get past kind of like the 15 minute mark, you start to settle in a little bit more. And, and it just, it, when I first started doing 20 minutes, it felt like it was forever. And now it just feels normal. Mm-hmm. So that's good. And I also think I've gotten a pretty good um, location in my day where I do it. So like now I get up at 6. I try to write from like 6.15 to 7.45. And then 7.45 to just after 8 has been when I've been meditating. And that's worked pretty pretty well. So all in all, I actually went better than I had anticipated. I know I wasn't looking forward to it when I was sitting at the end of February. Um, But, uh, you know, of the four things that I'm kind of rotating through, the one to be doing during the onset of a global (laughs) pandemic is probably the one where I'm trying to, like, calm myself and develop a a mindfulness practice. So I guess that worked out uh, pretty well. Do you think... I mean, obviously, the circumstances helped make month of sit easier if you were traveling and doing your crazy march that you originally had planned. It would have been hard. Yeah, I'm so bad at meditating when I travel. Gotcha. Yeah, because so, you don't have your your uh, your Zabumafu to bring with you, right? Yeah, you my, still Z- said? my Zabumafu. <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> uh, what what uh, Z- oh, Z- 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 you're, you're putting me on the spot, man. You don't, don't know your meditation me- pillow. Yeah, my, med- my, 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 my meditation cushion set. <laughs> that mom made for me. It's a Zabu Zafu food. and a Zabutan. Oh, I don't know Zabutan if I'm saying those right either, but pretty close. <laughs> yeah, I, I I still use it. Uh, it's pretty great. It's like a, so the the mat is like a like a square. I don't know, like two foot by probably three foot by three foot mat. It's like it's like a dog bed, kind of. Yeah, it looks like a dog bed, and then there's like a a a cushion that you sit on that is full of um, buckwheat. Like, right? Yeah, buckwheat exactly. It's uh, it's super comfy. Um. So I know this isn't a meditation podcast, but mm-hmm. can you describe like what 
So we've talked about like I've talked about headspace before, but mm -hmm. what did you? And obviously you've meditated on and off for a very long time. I've known it's been in and out of your circuit mm -hmm. of things you've tried to do. What is like? If someone was trying to get into meditation, would you tell them to use headspace? Would you tell them just to like sit down for 10, 15 minutes, whatever the time frame that you think someone should start at and just like, you know, yeah. what, what, what was it like trying to do this? Like, yeah, I don't, I think, I think starting with something like headspace or calm or really any kind of guided meditation course where they do a different guided meditation over two weeks, something like that is mm -hmm. a good starting point for sure. Um, Cause you'll learn some, just like the real basic techniques of what it is that you're, you're trying to do there. Um, and it doesn't, uh, so I think it's great to get started. I don't necessarily think that you necessarily, that you want to use that for a long time. I think once yeah. you get the basics down, I think people try to like really overcomplicate what it is that you're doing in meditation, which is just literally for me, it, it's focusing on my breath and noticing every time that my thoughts, uh, go away from my breath, which is hundreds of times because that's mm -hmm. how our brains work. And when you notice that, bringing your attention back to the breath and just doing that over and over and over until you're done meditating for the day. Like that is the whole thing. And mm -hmm. there's some technique around, um, you know, getting, you can do like a, you know, like a body scan visualization and various things like that, that I haven't gone too deep into. Uh, but just sitting and paying attention to your breath is basically the whole thing. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, I remember that from a little while I was <clears throat> using Headspace to kind of do, I don't know, I think I did the 10 days in a row, 10 minutes kind of thing, and then mm -hmm. it fell off of my, my routine and yeah. has never, never come back. Um, but maybe, maybe one day it will. Mm -hmm. But um, I've got a lot of things that <clears throat> I think I should be including in a daily routine that um, I might come above meditation. So <laughs> yeah, like what? <clears throat> well, for me, like, I've really noticed that um, for being only uh, 23 years old, my body is incredibly sore and tight all the time with farming, mm. which isn't too surprising. Mm. But, you know, for most of, you know, playing sports and things when you're younger, I never overly valued stretching or anything like that. And because your body <clears throat> always seemed to recover. But now it's um, it's not recovering as fast. And I wake up in the morning incredibly sore. And I feel like my I mean, none of us have been very flexible, um, Sperlin brothers at least. Um, and I am noticing it now when I'm <laughs> bending down to put my shoes on after a really, you know, strenuous day on the farm and things yeah. like that. And everyone else on the farm does yoga and other things. And I think it might be time for me to pick up something to, to, to get my body kind of primed for working or to recover at the end of the day. Cause it's, it's hurting. It's hurting yeah. big. A couple weeks ago. I did a very small number of squats and jumps, jumping workout exercise thing, and mm -hmm. I like couldn't walk for like three days. Yeah, <laughs> it was real sad. Yeah, so I mean, it's just and the other thing with farming too is you're always in just like a weird position that it's never a muscle group that you necessarily would focus on if you're if right. one was to work out. Not that I am working out, but um, so we'll see. I, I that's a, a very real one that I do actually need to work in fitting into my day somewhere because. Um, I think if I continue at this rate of not being proactive about it, by the time I'm hopefully still farming at, you know, mm -hmm. 35, I'm yeah, the ancient, myself. the ancient age of 35. Well, for me, that's, that's, you know, <laughs> over 10 years from now. And if I'm continuing to do this hard work, uh, sometimes I forget how young, how young yeah. you are. I know. Cause I come off as so wise. So um, wise. <laughs> so anyways, that's, that's an important one that I think. You know, maybe I need to work on some type of 
um, schedule. Maybe not. I don't think I have right now four things that I've identified like you have, but just I need to find a an actual pattern or routine to mm-hmm. maybe picking a month to just like try and do yoga or stretching or something every day because because it's, it's not good. If I remember correctly, don't you have a yearly theme of trying new things? I do, and this will fit in there. Um, have you do, you talk- do you have any other new like? So you check, we checked in on my kind of yearly theme. Anything for you? Has the quarantine put a put a hamper on your trying mm-hmm. of new things? I was just thinking about this actually. So this will come up more when we talk about the 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 farm and the the farm I'm at now. But I think this past week I've noticed myself doing a lot more new things in terms of like farming practices actually, which is a thing I was interested in. But there's um, a world of machinery and things and tools you use when you try to be a small scale farmer that um, we didn't use at the farm here at Gibbet originally, um, but over at Gaining Ground they do. So for example, that would be something like there's a tractor called a BCS tractor, which is actually a walk behind. You're not riding anything, but it's like a beefed up rototiller that you can swap parts out of. So, you know, you can put an attachment on the back of it that is like a rototiller and will till the bed. You can attach a thing to the front of it that has like a, a mower attachment. You can do all these different anything you could put on the back of a tractor. There's a mini version that can attra- attach to this this walk behind tractor. Um, so they're great for smaller farms. Their width is 30 inches, which is like the common bed width. For, yeah, it does just um, look like a really intense rototiller. Yeah, Got big so, old wheels on it. Yeah, they're quite heavy, but they have an incredible amount of versatility, and they're way more accessible than maybe buying a tractor for your farm. Um, it kind of looks like bad. somebody tore the back off of like a like a motorcycle or like some, like a like a four wheeler. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's basically you know a big a big motor with a drive sh- <clears throat> drive shaft in the middle, two huge handlebars that come up off the back, and then you attach different things to the bottom of it. That's neat. Um, so yeah, they're they're super cool, and I've actually never been on a farm that uses one, but I've, I've known of them for a long time because they are kind of what a lot of people are choosing to buy instead of a big tractor. Um, cause for example, you can buy a BCS like the, without the attachments for like three to $4,000, um, brand new <clears throat> and getting a tractor without implements that, you know, it's going to cost you at least four or 5,000 for like an old used tractor. So anyways, they have one there. Um, so this past week I just got to use one for the first time, kind of just tilling up a new field, um, pretty easy entry level stuff. And, uh, but it was nice to finally just like be behind it and, and get to use it and see what it's like. Um, to decide kind of, you know, do I want to do more of this in the future, which mm-hmm. I think throughout this season there will be more um, use of that tool. Um, another thing that's like that, there's something called a, a paper pot transplanter, which is actually incredibly cool. And I've seen it, um, videos of it on Reddit and stuff before because um, it's a very specialized tool for transplanting a large amount of seedlings with one person. Um, and there's nothing, there's no moving parts to it. Um, the basis of it is essentially imagine a tray of seedlings. Normally we start those in those little plastic, you know, squares, various sizes that you can, you can start seeds in. Mm-hmm. Instead, this is, it looks like a bee, uh, honeycomb, you know, it's that type of shape made of cardboard and all of those little cells are connected and you can buy them at various lengths in between each cell, how much cardboard is actually between them. And basically you start seeds in this huge honeycomb tray thing and then you put it onto essentially this metal sled looking thing Mm -hmm. and you pull the very first cell down through the little chute and you plant it in the ground and hold it in place. And then you start dragging the sled 
All it does is make a furrow and the chain unwinds from the tray. And then a little part on the back of the sled comes over it and puts soil around it. That sounds so ev- oddly satisfying. It can be. Um, and every, so every single cell is connected with cardboard. So it, you know, it just unwinds as you go along. Um, so you can cover, you know, depending on the, the spacing you got, you know, 80 to 100 feet with this paper pot transplanter. You must At save most, so much time using yes, this. Yeah. So, you know, for example, um, usually they have two people use it at a time on the farm because what happens is unless your soil is like perfect, what's going to happen is sometimes you hit a soft spot and it, it buries the plant. Sometimes you hit a rock and maybe the, the cardboard chain, the cell kind of sit on top of the soil. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, that doesn't happen very much. And the time it takes for the second person to kind of go down the line and fix any type of, um, issue that occurred. I mean, we planted, um, four beds of spinach, no, 320 bed feet in 30 minutes with two people, which is thousands is that of good? plants. Yeah. I mean, you know, if to plant, we were planting them six inches apart. So, you know, per bed, there's three rows, six inches apart, 80 feet. Um, Big numbers. Planting, yeah. Like almost 500 plants or little, you know, cells per, per bed. Um, and instead we're just dragging this. If you look it up, you're just dragging this big sled thing along. It's a bright orange color. Um, and yeah, so I've, I have heard of, I've used one before. Um, very rarely, none of the farms I've ever been at used them well because it takes designing your system kind of around it. Um, but once you start using it, it makes you understand how you could farm a larger, um, plot of land with, with, you know, less people. So those were kind of like two little things that popped up this week. There's That's a bunch cool. of other. This was your first week on the new farm, right? Yep. So why don't um, we why don't we start from start from the top? Uh, so I know you mentioned your normal the farm that you worked at last year. You've been laid off from there because technically you are a hourly employee, and the farm is primarily producing for the restaurants, which are closed or at least closed to dine in uh, mm-hmm. folks. Um, and even though you had um, a CSA, it was not going to be. You know, it was your first year doing it. It wasn't going to be enough to market to to bring to market all of the the stuff that you were going to be growing. So they just laid you off. First, any update on that? Is that still the case? Are they going to? Yeah. So the the they're still working on trying to figure out what their marketing plan is going to be. So the I mean the issue came out or the the statement came out the what May fourth I think is when they'll reassess all restaurant and business reopening. So there's another whole month now just takeout. Um, takeout sales are like fine. They're doing, you know, they're covering the expenses, I think for the restaurant and stuff here, but they're oh, not good. moving a ridiculous amount of product, um, in terms of the farm, which is fine right now because early in the farm season, there's not a lot of produce yet. Right. So yeah. this is kind Things of working out fine. Still. You know, they're still growing as if the restaurant will reopen. Are they? Oh, well, but they don't have you working there. Is it just with a one person working? Two. There's the farm manager and the assistant farm manager that are both like at a management payment level, so like a salaried employee. Um, so those two are still on the farm. So, and so Michael Scott and White. Yeah. <laughs> That's assistant to the farm manager. Oh, right, right. <laughs> and um, anyways, they so they those two are still managing the farm right now and getting by. They do have a couple, like two or three like really good volunteers that have been coming for years and they each come just one by themselves. You know, not all three volunteers show up on the same day. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're getting things done for now. I don't think it'll, it, I'm sure it'll hit them a little bit harder once they start planting things out in the field, like transplanting and those bigger tasks where it helps to have four sets of hands, five sets of hands. Right now it's a lot of the prep work that they can get, they can get by with two people. 
Right. Um, and, you know, hopefully um, they'll come up with a better plan for what it means for marketing later in the year and trying to see where, you know, the cash flow will be so that they can bring on some other people, whether that's they bring me back or they bring on somebody part time to start. Um, hopefully they'll do something along those lines. But I know there's a lot of moving parts. It's a large restaurant group. There's a lot of restaurants and the farm is just part of that bigger, the bigger picture. So who knows right now what the the status is. They're trying to either up the CSA or are they going to do a farm store? Or are they going to do maybe a, um, a lot of restaurants are doing like meal kit delivery kind of things now where you hmm. actually pick up a kit for cooking at your own home. Mm-hmm. Or could we do an add-on to when people come do takeout? They could also order from a little produce menu and get a box of our veggies that comes, you know, when you pick up your food at the same time, we'll drop a box. Oh, of that's a good idea. Whatever's in season, like a mini CSA almost. Because going to the grocery store sucks. Yes, it really does. And people are looking for a way to do it where they're not going to run into people or be on top of people or they know that only maybe one set of hands has touched it versus, you know, right. from the stock room to the shelf to other customers grabbing it and putting it back. So there's a lot of room for that. And we can talk more about I think that's a good topic actually for the future of like how is this affecting small farms or just local agriculture in general because I think there's actually a lot of potential for this to be good. Mm-hmm. Um and it has been for some of the farms around here are doing way more in sales than they've ever done before, um, which is awesome when you can do straight direct retail sales to, to customers instead of wholesale or other other options. Um, so anyways, the farm here is, is still operating, still kind of going as normal, just with less people. Right. Um, so who knows? There might be a chance to come back here later in the year when things have kind of got hopefully some semblance of, of normality. So... But this past week, and this is what happened was, you know, I got hired by Gaining Ground. It's a nonprofit farm that is run by um, the boyfriend of my farm manager here at Gibbet. Know him fairly well. Um, I've seen the farm before. I went and visited to some events there last year. Um, Much bigger, right? No, I mean three times. So it Hmm. it doesn't sound bigger when you say three acres versus one acre, but um, it's utilizing every inch of three acres. It's got... Um, you know, we have two tiny little hoop houses here at Gibbet. Um, this other far- gaining ground has four giant hoop houses. So we're talking 30 feet wide, um, a hundred feet long, essentially, um, huge, you know, like Gothic tunnel style, like very tall. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have four of those. They have 10 caterpillar tunnels, what they're called, which is essentially, um, like a half, you know. They call it a Quonset shape, a Quonset hut, or like a half-rounded hoop house that you only you put plastic on in the spring, leave it on through the summer and fall, take it off in the winter. It gets the name Caterpillar because the way you tie it down with these um, basically giant cords go over the top to secure it for wind um, kind of makes it look like a, a Caterpillar. Hmm. Um, so they have 10 of those, which increases your indoor growing space where – you can start, you know, right now inside one of those caterpillar tunnels, they already have peas in the ground. Ooh, my dog's mm-hmm. barking. Mm-hmm. And they have, um, you know, carrots in there. So it, it warms the soil. Same idea as a hoop house, just less permanent. Um, so they have 10 of those. So their indoor growing space alone is incredible, um, which makes a huge difference in terms of being able to hire people earlier, being able to have produce earlier, um, things like that. And then the rest of the farm, just a normal, you know, probably two and a half acres or so, two and a quarter acres of field space. Um, and we can really get into the nitty gritty of this farm in the future because it's hands down the most uh, organized and efficient farm I've ever worked at in terms of <laughs> really, I mean like they've been around for a long time and 
Doug, the farm manager, is very detail-oriented in the way that like, you would love the way he's designed his system for planning field blocks and you know every block of the field around the farm is divisible by three in some sense so everything gets planted in sets of threes so whether that's be every week you plant nine beds worth of salad greens or some things get grouped together in threes like one bed of kohlrabi one bed of fennel and one bed of bok choy when you plant bok choy you're planting those other two things as well and so everything is like very um, lean and you know systematized, and, and mm-hmm. it all makes a lot of sense. That's cool. So that's really and where cool. do they where do they sell their their produce? Right. So they are a nonprofit. All of their produce goes to fourteen area um, food kitchens, uh, homeless cool. shelters, you know, gleaners, those kind of things. Um, so they basically have four or three distribution days where. Um, they come and pick up and these people just get whatever they brought in from the field. So they try to give them an idea of what it'll be, but they've been doing this for a long time. So they've really honed in like this year only growing red tomatoes because people are not, they're just don't, they're not into orange tomatoes that are coming to these, whether they're distributing them to families or whether, you know, the chefs don't mind using them at some of the kitchens. But, um, so that's their whole, the whole business model is, is all this stuff is going to essentially people in need, um, Gotcha. And does that kind of, you guess you kind of already answered my question, but are they, do they make decisions about what to grow based on like, what can we grow the most of to feed like the most people as opposed to like growing the most interesting things? Yeah. So there's not, I mean, there is a wide variety still of stuff, but they have every year they back and and kind of like hone in on the things they want a lot of, like Mm -hmm. a lot of salad greens, a lot of carrots, um, they're actually not super into like all obviously the funky potatoes. They just want normal potatoes. They only winter squash they grow is butternut, the most common one. Um, mm-hmm. They want lots of cucumbers. They want lots of peppers, things like that. You know, lots of cabbage, broccoli, like very like the staples, um, which is makes it easier for field planning and far. You know, right it's easier to plan your your farm when you're not growing. You know, some of these farms have been at 200 varieties of of crops. You know. Um, Right. I mean, it's very different from what you were doing before in the sense that you were you were growing for a kind of, you know, upscale restaurant with chefs who I'm sure want, you know, interesting ingredients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we're not going to be growing any ground cherries at Gaining Ground. You know, they're right. a, a super inefficient thing to pick. They was that are, the thing that I ate that – what did that taste like? It was really weird. It's like pineapple It's that little gold yeah. thing inside of a husk. Yeah. And, yeah, it's like a sweet tart. Yeah, it's weird. weird. I don't know how to describe the flavor. Um, so the other thing too, is the reason that gaining ground was able to hire me is that they are, so a nonprofit that is, has a, a farm crew, but usually has about 3000 volunteers a year. Wow. So they usually have volunteer groups. They have volunteer groups, uh, Tuesday through Saturday. They usually will have morning groups, afternoon groups. People volunteer usually for like their shifts are never longer than three hours. Um, it ranges from schools to, um, you know, corporate events where you know a bunch of thirty-somethings from a tech company or a biotech company come out hey, from Boston and work. Um, they have retirees, uh, alumni groups, people that just want to volunteer to stay active. So it's it was super dependent yeah. on volunteers. Well, I and see you, why the the focus on making it uh, very very systematized, very yes. organized. You need you need to make it very easy for people who don't do this every day to be able to contribute and not mess things up. 
Yeah, and they've and they've really figured it out. I mean, they they know exactly how long tasks take. They know with a with a, a group of fifth graders what can you you know ha- have them do <laughs> that'll be efficient and actually helpful, at least somewhat helpful for you, at least not detrimental, right. um, and things like that. So um, the, that's exactly why the farm is designed the way it's designed. Um, and if you've you know, when I went and visited the farm last year, you see you know how immaculate the farm is because what they can do is a, a group of 15 volunteers come everyone gets a, a, a stirrup hoe or a hoe and they go out to a field that doesn't even look like it necessarily has big weeds in it but the, the you know it's easier to weed with hoes when the weeds are tiny and barely noticeable mm-hmm. so you send them out there they scuffle up the soil they kill all those weeds and to them it looked like there was nothing on the ground anyway i mean in terms of the plant other than the vegetable mm-hmm. but you go and visit the farm and there's not a weed to be found right um, so it'll be a r- interesting learning experience this year because now it's obviously for the foreseeable future no volunteers. Um, oh yeah, not they can't bring on any volunteers. They decide it's not worth it, especially since two of their main volunteer groups are sometimes the most vulnerable in terms of retirees and older mm-hmm. um, volunteers, and then also younger uh, kids. Um, obviously, you know, I, from statistically, death rate's not super high with younger kids, but there's no point in risking. Having right. them come to this farm to volunteer at a farm. So, what that meant is they they have a board of directors and they're all donor based. Um, they're in the town of Concord, which is a nice and fairly wealthy area, um, and they've been around for such a long time that they do have a really good backing. Um, so they were able to hire on me, which was awesome earlier than normal. Um, that they'd bring somebody on. So right now the crew is six people full time. Okay. Um, for three acres, which is still pretty understaffed kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's potential that it might get up to maybe eight people in the summer. You know, they're, they're trying to get grants through, you know, the huge stimulus package. Part of it was set aside for agriculture, um, things like that. So there will hopefully be some other people coming on, but I'm kind of excited to see how much can you get done, you know, right. you go from going from a 3000 volunteer based operation to, uh, six farmers to eight farmers who yeah. know what they're doing. And yeah, so yeah, you're pretty experienced. It's not like you don't know what's going on. So ho- you're probably, I would imagine, much more uh, effective than you know a, a bunch of volunteers. Exactly. And the other thing about this farm is, we were on Friday while we were working, we were going around and saying, like, trying to figure out how much experience we had as a farm crew. Like, because everyone's been farming a while on this crew, and normally what happens is you're. You, you, the farm manager's experience, the assistant farm manager's fairly experienced. Everyone else has maybe one year out of their belt, maybe mm-hmm. two years if you're lucky. I mean, the farm I managed back in Grand Rapids, um, Groundswell, I would say our collective, you know, experience per person was like a year and a half of experience, maybe. Right. And that was, you know, me and Steve carrying most of the weight, and we didn't even have that much experience. So we did the math here at the farm, and per person, first for six people, we had 42 years of experience dang seven years per person pretty much um that's i mean i'm actually bringing down the average with my four and a half right but um yeah so i mean it's incredibly experienced crew. so are you the youngest one on the crew yep yeah everyone is i think the the age group is mostly 30 to 35 okay um but yeah so super experienced farm crew um which is awesome i mean everyone knows what they're doing Right. So I think there's a lot of potential for this to be a very efficient year. Um, That's cool. And kind of give a get a feel for you know what can people who are using you know and this is another good example of like we're using some of the most efficient tools possible that paper pot transplanter 
not messing around with tractors, a lot right. of permanent beds. Um, you know, the way how organized the farm is, there's not a lot of like, how do we do this? We've never done this before. Everything's been done. They've done it, but they know how they're going to trellis. They know how they're going to space. They know how to, to move the tarp from field to field, things like that. Like it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, That's cool. So I'm rolling with it. Like, you know, it's a bummer to not be at the farm here, you know, a zero minute commute to a 30 minute drive. Oh yeah. Um, all these different things, but how's the, uh, the, how's the car holding up? It's good. It's good. So I had, you know, classic, uh, check engine light came on and actually they told me when I was getting my oil changed, I was like, can you guys just tell me what that, you know, alert means through the computer? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like an evaporation leak from your fuel system. Like, not super pressing. Um, but, you know, if you get a chance to take it in to figure out what, where the leak is, they'll fix it. I was like, cool, all right. And it wasn't like leaking gas or anything. It's like vapors coming out. And I was driving last week, and uh, the check engine light was gone. So I think my car self-healed, right? Car nice. Sealed. That's what it means. Yeah. <laughs> I told you, I'm like, oh, so the check engine light's off. So my car fixed itself, which is sweet. Didn't realize a 2009 mm-hmm. Ford Escape could do that. But mm-hmm. It's that new biotechnology they have where they self-heal. Yep. So the car's kicking. It's good. I actually really enjoy a commute a little bit. Um, podcast time. Dude, it's podcast time. It's nice to like, I don't know, just like have 30 minutes of just sitting in the car. Well, especially now that you don't get any time alone well, when you guys were too. working. You know, Haley's working from home. Wait, Haley is great. Emily is yep. great. All of our significant others are great. But sometimes it's nice to have some alone time. I think, yeah, I think everyone would agree with that. Um, so I think there'll be plenty to talk about in terms of farming this year. Um, good. So many interesting systems that they're using there. Um, I could talk forever about just like, all right, well, keep uh, good notes. You're going to, you have to carry this podcast forward. (laughs) Okay. Um, I will say one of the things that was really cool that I've never, um, been a part of before is there's a, so we, we talk about these hoop house structures, right? They're 30 feet wide, 96 feet long usually. Yep. Um, you know, fixed metal ribs plastic going over it the plastic never comes off it's a pretty permanent structure but they make one that's called uh, the name for it is rolling thunder and essentially what it is is it's that structure built on top of wheels on a rail kind of like just a big pipe that the wheels sit on and the rail is three lengths long of the hoop house so you have three fields that this thing could roll over and cover Mm -hmm. and so the way you use it per season is you you do move it a couple times to extend. So the good thing about a hoop house, like the first spot that it was sitting, um, they moved it in the late fall to set it into this spot. And then early, early spring, late winter, they went in there. The soil's warmer because of the plastic. Mm-hmm. They tilled the soil, planted carrots, and using the warmth, because carrots need warmth and consistent moisture to germinate. So in this nice ideal indoor environment, they germinated, came up, you know, they're, they're about an inch tall right now. And this last week we moved this entire structure, you know, eight people pushing on it, um, to roll it across the field, essentially on this bar over the next field where we uncovered the beds, tilled the soil and planted those beds the same day. So now these things will grow inside the hoop for one month and then a month from now we'll move rolling thunder one more time to its final resting place for the year where tomatoes will get planted in it and it was i've never actually used one before um they're incredibly simple in terms of the way that they're secured down because they are secured at each spot wait i have a quick question Mm -hmm. so the third location what's the point of having it be in the hoop house because it's going to be like well into the warm part of the year so I mean, you grow tomatoes and things like that inside 
uh, a structure because you get to oh, control you trellis the them and stuff. Yep, we trellis them straight up within the structure. Um, tomatoes are disease prone when it rains. They don't like getting water on their their actual leaves, so you drip. You use drip tape to water right at the base of the plants. Gotcha. Um, you have way more control over basically how they grow. Okay. So last year they grew uh, cucumbers inside there, but same thing applies. Um, you can control disease better, pest pressure, trellising them, um, ease of harvest, all those things come into play. Um, they almost never grow tomatoes in the field at this farm, which I, makes sense. I've worked at farms that do a lot of tomatoes in the field, and when you can't trellis them the way that you can in a hoop house – you lose a lot of time picking tomatoes. You lose a lot of time to disease. Um, they're just, they're in the peak of their growing life a much shorter amount of time when they're in the field. Gotcha. So, and then at the end of the season, when it's over the, after we take those tomatoes down, we'll roll it all the way back the direction it came to the very first where the carrots were and start over. And that's how it works. So cool. then in the fall, they'll plant something in there. And it, so they only have one of those, but it's cool to see how, you know, the mobility of a, of a hoop house and how that can help extend essentially your growing capabilities. So a lot of stuff like that. Um, that's neat. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So, all right, cool. Well, I'm glad, uh, glad the farming stuff is, is happening. Yeah, me, me too. It was, yeah, it was getting tough for a bit. Yeah. And just like, so ready to be, to be active again, um, and do something. Um, especially something that you think, you know, you're actually like fairly good at this, <laughs> even right. like it was nice to work in the restaurant and things like when I was, but farming is definitely where I n- enjoy myself the most. Yeah. Um, did I know obviously the time in the restaurant got cut short. Um, but did you feel like that you had gotten to the point where it was less like super anxiety producing and just something that you could do and not, you maybe even find some enjoyment in? Oh yeah, it, it, it definitely was. I actually found myself enjoying I think we talked a little bit about this, but between barbacking and bussing, yeah. I enjoyed bussing a bit more. Yep. Um, because it was like a two-man team, two, three-man team sometimes, um, getting in that really nice flow where there was always – you always knew – the checklist yeah. of things you had to do was less than 10. And right. when you're a barback, the checklist of things to do is like 100 things long. There's always something you could be – that you're not even thinking of that you should be doing or that you should be restocking. And so I did – both of them became jobs I could do without feeling super anxious before going to work actually – which was nice. Um, and like you said, it, it did not take long for that transition to happen. You know, a couple of shifts under my belt and I felt very comfortable with it. Um, so I definitely, and I, I could foresee myself doing it again in the future. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a good seasonal job to do. And I think, or even just extra income on the side yeah. um, throughout the summer. So it is a bit of a bummer because I, I was prepared to, to kind of balance the two throughout the summer and make some extra money. But you know, there's a lot of other people who aren't working right now and I still get to yeah. farm and I still get to do my job, which is pretty exciting. So yeah. I can't complain too much. Cool. Um, All right. Updates? What Video was that? Games. Updates? Uh, you got a PS4. We're playing games yeah. together. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. I'm playing Animal Crossing, which is, you know, pretty close to farming, you could say. Yeah. I know, I'm, we'll have to do some, we'll have to talk about it a little bit. Just tell me how about your farm at some point. Yeah. yeah. What are you growing over there? I actually haven't played Animal Crossing. I played Stardew. You don't actually but... really do much growing in Animal Crossing. Um, oh. Well, I mean, maybe you do later in the game. I'm not that far into it. I got some uh, got some apple trees. Nice. Got uh, got some orange trees. Some flowers. Climate you're working with there. Yep. yep. <laughs> you got both the citrus. <laughs> yep. Southern. I went to an. Uh, yeah, I went to another. Because my native island has apples, and then I went to another oh, island, okay. and there were some oranges. So I 
you know, very in a very farmer-like way. I ate a fruit to get super fruit power, and then mm-hmm. I used the shovel to shovel an entire full-grown mature tree and put it in my pocket. Uh, and then I took it home and I popped it in the ground on my island, which is how those, farming and, works. Yeah, I said those are directly applicable. You could do that in real life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got that fruit strength? You can do anything. That's true. I've been working on getting fruit. Is vegetable strength a thing? No, I don't know. I don't think so. I think you need fruit yeah. strength. Okay, good to know. Yep. Um, it says you rearranged your office. Is this yeah. your home office or your home office? Yeah. You haven't Last been to the co-working night. space, right? No, I haven't. You've waited like the plague. <laughs> Other than I, a couple of weeks ago, I went in to rescue my monitor and my computer and bring them home. Uh, that's gotcha. about it. I haven't been in, in since that. Um, but I rearranged my office. Realized that I have this really excellent uh, window area where I had like my chair where I'll read sometimes, but I decided I want, I want mm-hmm. my desk in front of this uh, window. So I moved it over, kind of rearranged. Also, this now, um, the way we had the office set up before is that Emily and I were each have our own desk, but we're like directly across from each other in the room. So when I was on video calls, you could just clearly see Emily behind head. me working. And, um, you know, that's kind of distracting. And also, you know, she kind of leaned into that in some ways. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> my new... Uh, New setup, she works like staggered now. So you can see a whiteboard behind me and just the edge of her desk and not just the entirety of her. Gotcha. Probably a smart move. Smart move. Plus now I can look out a window over the park and I'm seeing all sorts of doggos, uh, yeah. which is which is good. Anything, anything notable out that window yet? Well, there's been a kite stuck in this tree for a while and I actually saw – it was like a whole story about how this kite got in the tree, and I got—I saw the whole thing. It was a guy and a woman out there, and the woman was the one holding the end of the kite, and he was the one kind of – they were trying to get it up in the air, and he kept – he would like throw it into the air, and then it wouldn't really fly very well and just go back down to the ground, and he would like run over to it, pick it up again, and kind of like toss it in while also like gesticulating to, to the woman, and like she, and he, she just like wasn't able to get it in the air. So finally he came over and he grabbed the end of it and got it and like showed her how to do it. And then she was like, okay, yeah, I got it. I got it. And then he went back out to the end, like where the kite was on the ground and threw it up in the air. And finally she got it up into the air and it immediately ripped out of her hands and into this tree. Uh, um, And that was like a week and a half ago. And the kite is still sitting there in the tree. Oh man. So did it, did it have the vibe of like a really nice, like romantic thing? He was trying to teach her how to fly a kite and it like it was like that coaching. Way. It didn't or end did that it, way. Did he look pretty frustrated? Yeah. He looked pretty frustrated. By <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Wow. That's a full story you got there. I know. And I guess every time I see this kite, I just think of it. I'm just wondering like, why don't they just like yank it down? But I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they're afraid of harming the kite. But probably. But that kite, that kite is fully harmed. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's exciting. And thank you. This wouldn't happen if you didn't move your desk. I, yeah, I know. Well, I, I actually this whole the whole thing happened a couple week like a week and a half ago. So I was just standing in the in our <laughs> dining room doing the thing that I do sometimes, which is look out the window and drink coffee and make up stories about what is happening out there. Mm-hmm. And I got to see that one. That was good. All Very right. Nice. Well, I think we um, we did it. I think so. I got a. I have one quick book recommendation for you. It doesn't oh, okay, have to be good. on the podcast, but I feel like I can throw it on the podcast. Right. Um, have you ever read um, the business book by Yvonne Chouinard, the guy that started Patagonia? Let my people surf. Let my people go surfing. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. I don't think I've ever actually read it, but I am familiar really? with it. Oh, you're okay. I I bought it. I'm not gonna lie. I bought it thinking it'd be more of a memoir kind of 
with some business background. That's a full-on business manual to how oh, really? they run Pettit. Not full-on, but it's yeah. it breaks down how they run their company and basically like why he made the choices he made. Which yeah. when I was reading, I was like, the Sam would find this very interesting because they are you know kind of an OG yeah. um, yep. company that does things well for their employees. Yep. So. All right. I was going to recommend it to you if you ever want to read it. If you ever want me to mail it along, let me know. Um, I think I should uh, – I'll, I'll elevate it on my to-read list. It's pretty good. I think a lot of it you'll just nod your head and go, yeah, like those are things you kind of knew. Mm-hmm. But I think there are some actually some interesting parts in it as well. And you do get a little bit of history of, of why he started the company as right. well or how he started the company. Right. But my book right. recommendation for you. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. All right. Well, I guess we're done. Yeah, we'll play games together sometime today. <laughs> yeah, let's play some – let's go play, let's play some Overwatch or something. Alright, cool, cool. Good podcast. Cool, good podcast. Goodbye. Bye. I think.